Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we started covering, talking about the book, Radical Acceptance. James and I are both just finished chapter four, which talks about the sacred pause. But we kind of go back to chapter one and talk about just this feeling of unworthiness. What are some feelings that we have where we feel unworthy or inadequate? And what are some ways the book talks about that shows how we try to cover that up by overcompensating or undercompensating, so on and so forth, or judging others or judging ourselves? And then we delve into some really personal examples of these things. So yeah, hope you enjoy the episode. What's going on, everyone? We're recording on Tuesday. So Sean, happy Tuesday. Happy whichever day for anyone that is listening, whatever day that you're on. Welcome to Startup Struggles. This is episode 30. And always with me is Sean Lee. My name is James Park. And we're going to jump right in and talk about Radical Acceptance, the book by Tara Brock. We were just starting to talk about it before recording. So we decided, oh, wait, we need to be recording this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just got up through chapters one, two, three, and four. And I think the biggest thing that I noticed in these first few chapters is when the author talks about being in a pause. It was important to me because... For those of you who have known what I've been going through, I've been in a pause for the last two or three years of my life. And Sean is recently going through a pause. And so we're in a similar stage in life, but have gotten here in very different ways. And to me, the hardest thing about the pause is, is actually accepting that you're in the pause. And I, I kind of take it like almost like when you're going on vacation. And you've been working for so long, maybe a year without a real break, and then you decide to go on vacation. Even in the first few days or maybe a week or two weeks that you're on break, your mind is still in work mode. And it takes some time for you to take a pause. And I think for different people, it just takes a long time for your mind to adapt into being on a break and being comfortable with the break. I think, Sean, you're probably right at the beginning of this and trying to figure out, is this okay? Am I allowed to be in a pause right now? It took me a long time to accept that, maybe like a year or two, actually, to feel comfortable with doing nothing some days. It's a really conscious decision that you have to make, and you have to allow yourself to give yourself a break. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, totally agree. You have to give yourself permission to take a break. And I think giving yourself permission is a huge thing because initially I didn't feel like I deserved a break, right? There are people out there struggling. Like, why, why do you deserve a break? The fact that other people are struggling made it feel like I deserve less of a break. And this goes towards chapter one of the book, which talks a lot about unworthiness. And we had talked about this kind of the description of the book before where in a culture where in a society where there's just this constant sense of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. It's really pervasive. And I forgot it was in the book or I read it somewhere else, but do we talk about this in, in the last episode about the original sin? 
It might have come up in conversation before recording. Yeah. Religion aside, I just thought it was very interesting. Like it never occurred to me how the original sin could impact the way we perceive ourselves because this idea of original sin is that we are unworthy from the get-go, mm-hmm. that we have to prove ourselves and save ourselves, you know, or earn our rights to enter the, the gates of heaven. I'm not Christian or religious by any means, but I understand it. Mm-hmm. And similar ideas to that, I think, occur in our society, whether it's through parenting or through societal pressures. There's always this general sense of unworthiness. And I think if I were to take a stab at it and guess, I think a lot of it has to do with or is rooted in competition from a young age, from grade school to sports or whatnot. It's like there is only one winner. They say second place is just the first loser. <laughs> right. I always hated that saying. I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> like, <laughs> because then it creates this environment where there's, oh my God, the cats are <laughs> fighting in the background. Sorry for any listeners. James and I both have two cats each, and they're very entertaining to watch sometimes on camera. <laughs> but going back to what I was saying, you know, same with school, right? School is very competitive environments. And I think because there can only be so few quote unquote winners, they might create the sense of unworthiness for the rest of the people. I know some people just completely balk out and say, you know, I'm not going to participate in this freaking competition, right? Right. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be part of this rat race. And that's, that's one, I think, small group of people who can do that. But I think most people might feel like there's always something or someone that you're trying to prove something to. And that's what I caught myself doing a month back because I had the question, who am I trying to prove something to? What am I trying to prove? And who am I trying to prove this to? Yeah. And you know, we grow up wanting to be successful. And then at some point, you ask yourself, what does success even mean? Yeah. And you have to define that on your own. And it's not for anyone else. I think for most people, though, they don't realize that they had to define it on their own. Mm-hmm. It just takes a long time to get there. And so what, they, what we end up doing is we start looking at other people right. to try to define success for us. It's like, oh, well, this person went and got their MBA and they look successful, so maybe I should get my MBA. Right. Well, I got my freaking MBA and I still don't feel successful, right. you know? Oh, that person has that title. Oh, you know, let me go get that title. It's like, you still don't feel successful. And so that's something you have to find for yourself, I think. And it comes with always being compared. Maybe not every parent does this. Maybe not everyone does it, but you grow up in school where you are, yeah, you're just compared to everything and everyone. You get grades, you're graded based on how other peers do. And then maybe when you go home, your parents compare you to their friends' kids or your cousins or your siblings. And like, well, your brother can do this. Like, why can't you? Or your friend has done this. Like, why can't you? And it might not stem from a negative place. I think maybe just setting a bar for you to be able to reach. Yeah, it's a benchmark of sorts. Yeah. But if you don't do it for the right reasons, it becomes pointless almost. You reach that benchmark and, and then what? What's next? Right. They try to find someone else to beat. You know, we've always heard advice like, oh, the only competition is with yourself, right? Matthew McConaughey has that famous speech from his, I think, Oscar win where he's like, I'm always looking and comparing myself or competing with 
my future self 10 years from now. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he's a fucking cool guy. Uh, <laughs> His autobiography was awesome. Yeah. I've been meaning to read that. I've not read it yet. Dude, you got to listen to an audible. It's so good. Does he read it himself? Yeah, he reads it himself. It's fucking amazing. It's called uh, Green Light. Yeah, it's on my to-read list. And I think that's important to recognize that and catch yourself when you're trying to compete with the wrong target or the wrong competitor. And the same idea is talked about in Courage to Be Happy, which we'll reread and, and talk about in later episodes. But it is this idea that competition is quite destructive because... I think it feeds a lot of discontent. And so coming back to us, you know, that's the one thing I realized. A, I have nothing to prove to anybody anymore. And when I started to look back, I'm like, I never really did. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how I came to this idea that to prove something. And I think a lot of it was, and I talked to my therapist about it, was a sense of attachment or fear of loss, fear of not being loved by my parents if I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Being accepted in society. Yeah. Amongst the people that you also admire in some sense. You want to be accepted by your friends. You want to be accepted by your parents or your teachers. Yeah. But the perverted thing is that you don't get their acceptance by trying to prove something. (laughs) Yeah. You get their acceptance, at least I've realized in life, by contributing, by adding value to their lives, right? Not like focusing on yourself, yeah. by being there for them. Mm-hmm. And just being you. Yeah. Like the more that you try to fit into a group, the more you become someone else. And sometimes once that mask is removed, for some reason, you don't feel like you fit in because you're not being true to yourself. Yeah. And I think the reality is, especially as I get older, it's just like, look, my parents are going to love me. At least they're decent parents. Like they're going to love you regardless of what you do. Yeah, there'll be things that make them proud, but I think they're just proud that you're alive. I mean, when I think about Miles, as a parent now, I'm just like, fuck. And I hear about, you know, Mink works at the hospital. She sees so many kids like get sick and die and whatnot. And you're just like, fuck, dude. Oh, man. Or you hear about like crazy stories about people's kids having accidents, right? Like, dude, I'll be happy if, Miles just survives. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's kind of my bar. Because just life itself is just so short and precious, especially we're recording it. This is a week after, you know, the shootings in, in Texas. I was like, holy fuck, dude. And it's like, I'll just be happy that my kid survives this crazy world. Let's just be honest. But coming back to feelings of inadequacy or, or unworthiness, I thought the book had a couple of interesting points. This is in the first chapter, by the way. Strategies to manage the pain of inadequacy. She talks about some of the problems. Like we embark on one self-improvement project after another, which I had acknowledged this when I was talking to my therapist, which is that I have this tendency towards just finding new hobbies and interests like golf now. You know, it's like, it can be something that could make me miserable or angry like Hesong. <laughs> as he man. <laughs> or it could be something that, you know, I just take it very lightheartedly and just be like, well, I'll just, I'll get better in 10, 20 years with consistent effort. Yeah. It's a lifelong sport, man. (laughs) Yeah. But there is this sense that like, if you keep on chasing new things, and that's what this is saying, there is this possibility for perpetual discontent. Yeah. I think a part of it is always going after something new, feeling that, that new shiny toy, and you get bored of it pretty quickly. 
and you just need that next shiny toy. Or chasing titles. Yeah, chasing all the wrong things. Ranks and things like that. Conversely, on the other end, you have this holding back and playing it safe rather than risking failure, which is interesting. This is complete opposite on the spectrum of pushing yourself to learn new things all the time and not being satisfied. On the other end, you're just like, I don't want to try anything new because I don't want to fail. Right. The other end is like failing too much where you're just not getting any satisfaction at all. So it's really finding good balance between those things I thought was interesting. Yeah, and you can, it's weird um, having done both. I was chasing titles, chasing salary, chasing new companies. And then I've gone to the other extreme, which was doing absolutely nothing and chasing nothing because I didn't want to feel like a failure all the time. Yeah. And to be honest, they feel the same. You think that one will feel better than the other, but the feelings are, they're almost similar in a way. It's a lot of just emptiness. Maybe that's the word. It's just empty. Yeah. That's what she says. I'll just read it here. She says it the best. What if we can do to avoid the raw pain of feeling unworthy? Each time our deficiencies are exposed to ourselves or others, we react anxiously, trying to cover our nakedness like Adam and Eve after the fall. Over the years, we develop a particular blend of strategies designed to hide our flaws and compensate for what we believe is wrong with us. And so I think for me, my personality, this is why this book resonated with me so well, is like the first one, we embark on one self-improvement project after another. Like that's how I try to hide what I think are my flaws or inadequacies. Some other people will try to pull back and play it safe, like I said, and risk failure. That's another strategy for covering up your feelings of inadequacy. Yeah, that's what I do mainly. I do that a lot. Yeah. A third way is we withdraw from our experience of the present moment. And I think sometimes we do a combination of these things. And then a fourth one is we keep busy. That's a second thing I do for sure. Yeah. In addition to doing work. Yeah. And doing whatever is in mind. <laughs> yeah. I was literally driving this morning. I was like, how do I have still so many things in my head? Like, <laughs> like of responsibilities that I want to or need to do or feel like I should do. And the reasoning is like that I realized was, well, always find something to fill the space if I don't catch myself to pause as you talked about in the beginning. Uh, number five, another way is to be our worst own critics. And six, we focus on other people's failures. So these are the tendencies or the ways we try to cover up for our inadequacies or feelings of unworthiness. And the rest of the book kind of will talk about how to overcome these things and not do these because these are all self-destructive in one way or another. And I think a way to think about it is actually, this is not you. Just because you act in one of these ways doesn't define who you are. But the way that I think about it is it has become a habit. And we are all creatures of habit. And if you repeat something enough times, that's just what you're comfortable with. And that's just what your body knows. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you are. So for me, again, I don't like losing. And so a lot of things that I did was all based on not losing. Because when I lost as a kid, it was, um, it was embarrassing. I got in trouble. It was not feeling adequate. And so a way that I started to cover this is by not even caring or not even playing the game. Hmm. And in a way, you don't lose, but you'll never win. You don't move and you'll never grow. You're kind of just stuck 
in this perpetual cycle of not taking a chance to do anything. So that's interesting because going back to what we we're saying in the beginning, like the external competition is what feels, I think, off. Mm-hmm. But you can still have the internal competition. Like, let's just take golf, for example. Like, you know, if we go on and play around, like, I don't really care to compete with you to what you were saying. Like, I just, I don't want to because then there's no sense of losing or winning against you. But I should compete with myself maybe and say like, did I improve my score or my whatever compared to last time? That's why golf is so awesome sometimes. It really is a competition by yourself. Like you can compete against your friends, but everyone's in such a different stage in their golf game. It really is just a completely mental challenge for yourself. And every hole is like that, which is, yeah, what makes golf great. If any of you listening like (laughs) golf, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. But one of the things that coming out of the first chapter that I really liked was, uh, and I still have to do this exercise actually because I was listening to it in the car, is a guided reflection on recognizing the trance of unworthiness. Recognizing the beliefs and fears that sustain the trance of unworthiness is the beginning of freedom. You might find it useful to pause for a few minutes to consider the parts of yourself that you habitually reject and push away. And some examples are like, you know, do I accept my body as it is? So trying to find where you actually feel deficient and unworthy. Do I blame myself for getting, when I get sick? Do I accept my mind as it is? Do I judge myself for not being intelligent enough? Or do I accept my emotions and moods as they are? Do I feel like I'm a bad person because of the way I behave? I'm curious if you've had any thought on this. Like, what do you think your areas of unworthiness or shame may be? Honestly, this is a, it's kind of hard to admit, but (laughs) I think for me, I just don't feel intelligent. I think I'm not smart enough. Okay. Yeah. Let's write that down. I think that I don't know enough or that I'm not specialized in anything. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It goes back to almost trying to find a job. I don't feel that I have enough qualities to find jobs. And it all starts from this belief that I don't know enough or I don't do enough or I'm not creative enough to generate value at a company. And again, I think one of the things I did was I don't want to work at a company because it made me feel inadequate. And so for a long time, I took a pause in going after a job. And I I just chased, I didn't even chase, I just took the jobs that I knew how to do, even though a lot of times I didn't enjoy doing it. Okay. That's like a big thing that I kind of go through. Anything else? Oh, something that I was telling you last week. I don't think that I'm interesting. Remember how I was like, how did I word it last week? I felt like a lot of times I I feel that I'm a type of person that if I'm not in the conversation or if I'm not there amongst my group of friends, it wouldn't matter. Like I almost have like nothing to bring to the table in conversation. I'm not funny. Oh, that's what it was. I'm not a funny person. And that comes up a lot in my head. I don't think that I'm interesting. I don't think I'm funny. And I don't really move the conversation forward. That's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird, right? I don't know where it comes from. It's very weird. I think all these things are weird for anybody to think about. Not just you. (laughs) Maybe other ones. Am I weird? (laughs) But okay, the strange thing about thinking that I'm weird is... I'm okay with that. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to just be like everyone else. And maybe that is also (laughs) something 
that's kind of like a mind fuck is you don't want to be like everyone else, but you want to be accepted. Yeah, that's actually very normal because of the whole hierarchy of needs. You have the, we talked about this before, the competing needs for belonging and significance. And you're always like on a spectrum mm -hmm. between belonging and significance because they're butting heads. Just for listeners who've never heard this before, like we have a need to be significant, to stand out and be different. But if you stand out too much, you stick your head out too much, then you feel very lonely and alone and not relatable. Conversely, we have this need to belong to a group. But if you belong too much, you pretty much live in China and, uh, <laughs> and become a communist and everybody has black hair, brown eyes, and everybody's just the same. And you really want to stand out and be different. And so you have these competing needs. You need both of these things. And depending on where you are in your life or the stage, it's like you're going to be somewhere on that spectrum, shifting back and forth. I don't think that's unusual at all. That's a good thing that you feel these things. Wait, what about you? What are some things that you, you go through? Oh, for me, things like, am I worthy of love to be loved? So being loved, being recognized, maybe, being accepted, being seen, maybe, not feeling invisible. Let me write these things down, Ashley. It's the battle of recognition. I think we might have discussed in earlier episodes about how we all want to be recognized in some way. Or acknowledged. Maybe it's not even recognized. Like maybe acknowledged is a better word. Because when you talk about being interesting enough or not bringing much to the table, it's like just being acknowledged that, that I'm here. You're there. Yeah. But it's funny, like I was, as I was listening to you say that, I was wondering, like, do I have those worries, right? You talking about being visible or being heard, it seems very similar. Yeah, I agree. Maybe it's like two sides of the same coin. It's all about this struggling to want to be accepted and acknowledged for who we are. Yeah. And just being comfortable with ourselves. Maybe that's like a big thing is that a lot of people don't know how to be comfortable. Being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I think as you grow up, you learn to wear masks around different people. You learn to behave in certain ways around different groups of people. And at some point, for me, I'm talking about myself more, it's when I don't have to pretend to be someone within different groups and when I'm alone, I didn't know how to act for a long time. When I first went to Vietnam and when I was alone for, you know, especially during COVID, didn't really see anyone, I didn't know who I was anymore. It was really strange. And I think I just had to learn to be comfortable with being by myself. It's a weird, good period of time. If anyone ever needs to go through this kind of pause, and a lot of people talk about it as like almost like a cocoon. You cocoon yourself and kind of distance yourself from people to kind of figure out and evolve into the next stage of who you want to become. Hmm. But also that's the really difficult thing is that you have to be intentional about it. If you don't decide on your own of what you want to grow to be, you will just float through life leaning towards what other people expect you to become. And that's when it becomes more difficult to be yourself, to be comfortable with yourself. And then you're always fighting for acknowledgement of who you're becoming, even though you don't, you haven't decided on your own what that is. Does that make any sense? It does and it doesn't. And I say that it does make sense that we all have to find our own path. But the more I'm reading these books, 
the older we get, the more I'm realizing, like connecting this to what we're talking about, like this endless sense of chasing titles and achievements, like what's wrong with just being us? Like who else do you need to be other than just you? Yeah. That's one thing. But what does that even mean? That means you just accept who you are. You are a human being that's sometimes you have something to add to the conversation and sometimes you fucking don't. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like all these concerns, like sometimes you're intelligent. Sometimes you're fucking not. You're fucking idiot sometimes. Sometimes I'm creative. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm knowledgeable and sometimes I'm completely ignorant. Yeah. I'm just going through this list. Sometimes I'm loved. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm seen. Sometimes I'm not. Yeah. And sometimes I'm acknowledged and funny. And sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm weird. And sometimes I'm actually pretty fucking normal. That's what I mean is not focusing on just one thing that we think we have this huge deficiency on or don't have or have and just recognize we have it all. That was good. It was like a light bulb went off. <laughs> so that's one part is just accepting. I think that's what radical acceptance is ultimately going to talk about is just accepting that these are all part of who we are. I think when we're younger, you're absolutely right. Like we felt very defined because when you're younger, you really cared about what people thought. It's interesting too, because there's this parenting book that my friend always talks to me about where he says like, there's no right way or wrong way to parent, but one like suggestion and difference that they point out is that Western parenting styles really puts heavy reliance on like a kid's friends to give validation, to be that pillar of stability Hmm. versus having the parent be that pillar of stability and say, you know, I think in Eastern culture, it's very much rooted in family where it's like your family will always be there for you. Obviously, there's a whole book on this, but there's this whole idea that like when you have your kids depend on friends for their sense of security and safety. I'm talking about social safety, like mental security. It's actually very fragmented because it's very fickle. Friends come and go like in elementary, middle school and high school. Yeah. And so it creates this odd sense of like insecurity. And I, I still see that carrying through in college, especially because when we enter college and we start entering the real quote unquote real world, sans parents, we do have this huge dependency on how we're perceived. But as we get even older, like to our stage in life now, like mid, late 30s, you got to stop saying mid 30s. We're not mid 30s. We're not. (laughs) 37. Yeah. It's almost like I don't really care what most people think of me. I care like what a few people think of me, but most people like I don't care. And, And that's what allows me to, I think, live a pretty carefree life for the most part. What you just said about how you have a few people who you care about, how they think about you. I wonder if that's actually kind of not true. I don't even think that's true. You're absolutely right. Like, <laughs> like, Yeah, because like you and I, right? Like I care what you think about me and you you care what I think about you. But, but to what extent though? Yeah, we don't change our behavior because of how we think about each other. I think we've accepted who we are as individuals. Like I trust you to not judge me for things that I talk about or behave in certain ways. And Maybe that's what friendship is about is like who you trust enough to allow into your kind of world of who you actually are. Yeah. Because I really, I care what you think about me, but I know that 
if I say these things about a lot of my insecurities, I know that you won't judge me or that things are going to change because now you're like, oh my God, James cares about what other people think of him or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So I wonder if, if a true friendship occurs when there is that level of trust. Or maybe it's just a recognition. Maybe it's an internal thing. Trust is definitely a huge part of it. Let's talk about trust. So I think it's that we trust the other person. We have unconditional trust for the other person as one. But I think the other thing is that we just recognize people aren't thinking about us all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's also a big thing. No one really cares. <laughs> yeah, like you and I have so much shit going on in our own respective lives. Like I frankly don't have time to like ruminate about James' life. Why not? God damn it. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing that prevents us from like judging each other or like it's a separation of tasks for one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's really interesting. Glad you shared that. Man, there's a lot to think about. Sorry to cut you off though. What, what were you going into right before I cut you off? Oh, the other thing I, I couldn't unpack or I haven't unpacked yet of what you were saying is that so there's this, the side of us that there's radical acceptance, right? And then there's what you've talked about quite frequently a couple of times now about what we should be doing with our lives, right? Like what is our purpose? So on and so forth. There's the acceptance part and then there's like finding your purpose. Or in your case, I think it's intrinsically tied with like career or what you do for a living. And I think it is important to separate the two. Because when you tie in like I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough to like what am I capable of, right? What can I do? Where can I contribute? Because that's the other need. The hierarchy needs we've discussed before are the needs for growth and contribution. I really like to stick to this framework because for me at least it works a lot. Just to recap, we have six needs. You have four basic needs that are competing. You have the need for safety and you have the need for variety. And we talked about that before. And then you have the need for belonging and the need for significance. And then the last two needs, these are the higher arching needs that every guru talks about. These needs are not competing at all. These are the need for growth and the need for contribution. And I think work is a part of that. Work in many ways is all about growth and contribution. And in some ways it can be tied to belonging and obviously safety, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or variety for some people that like jobs that have much more variety like consulting. And then if you want more safety, then you kind of default to like a singular job where it's a singular role or title. And it gives you a sense of belonging because there's a community in many ways and gives you a sense of potential significance because you might have a title if you're moving up in the ranks. But growth and contribution, that's why I want to separate these two. I think it would be helpful to think about these things separately without judgment of yourself with radical acceptance of who you are as being sometimes intelligent, sometimes not intelligent, sometimes funny, sometimes not. I'm not funny most of the time. <laughs> Ming tells me so. She's like, your jokes are way too tier three. Nobody gets them. <laughs> are you already like strong in the dad joke game? Oh yeah, yeah, sometimes. And sometimes not. The jokes fall through. But I think this is where you and I are struggling because by taking this pause right now, not working, we're really trying to figure out like, well, what's our contribution? Yeah. Where's the value? What's the worth? The growth is there. You know, in the past, since we started this podcast, we first off, you push yourself to learn the podcast, right? To talk on a podcast. We still read books. We're talking about a book. I'm learning golf. 
you were taking writing courses, right? There's so many things. Growth, I think, is there. But the contribution, I think that's the missing piece. Like, what does all this growth lead to? What kind of contribution are you providing? And not feeling any feedback. You don't get feedback from it, in a sense, right? Yeah. This podcast, in my opinion, is a contribution. If one person gets value out of it, I think it's contribution. But to your point, we're not getting much feedback. I mean, your friend's giving you feedback, which is great. That's true. <laughs> That's, That's true. one more than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, Bao does give me feedback on the podcast occasionally. So shout out to Bao. Contribution. Let's think about that offline. Maybe that's the next piece that we need to think about and then come back next week. Yeah. Where can you, would you like to contribute? Regardless of what you think of your abilities or knowledge or intelligence or creativity. Yeah. I like that. Just keep that separate. Like just for a brief moment, you, James Park, you can do anything. You can learn anything, clearly. Me, Sean Lee, I can learn and do anything. Where do we want to put our time into contributing next? And on that note, we'll end this episode. Yeah. We pretty much jumped from chapter one to four. <laughs> chapter four was about the sacred pause. And I think we'll talk more about that next time as well in some of these other passages. This is actually really fun, James, because we have a framework to guide these conversations a bit. Yeah, we can actually talk about something now very clearly. Yeah, maybe that's what we'll do. We'll just pick a book every two months and just walk through it. And it's kind of how we started, right? I think the first few episodes was all about courage to be disliked. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, come full circle. Well, hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Any thoughts, as always, please feel free to reach out to us. James, your Twitter handle is? JSW Park. And mine is Hamisterly, H-E-Y-M-R-L-I. So thanks for listening. 